Hello and welcome back to this What Day Is It? It's a Thursday free episode of... It's the free one! Ah, uh, yes. Like mm. a warm, annoying bath that I get into every week. The annoying bath. You're listening to Riley and the bath. I hate this. I have a lot yeah. of questions about what would make an annoying bath. They're probably not going to like answer them on this episode. Oh, having a bath with me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then I'm doing that. <laughs> like what makes... Riley's just yeah. trying to play with a rubber duck. Well, like, yeah. what, I, I feel like the only thing that would make a bath annoying is if it's at like a temperature that isn't quite warm enough to be enjoyable but not cold enough to like be some sort of weird fitness trend it's just like lukewarm in a really gross way oh oh you know what you're mm-hmm. talking about you're talking about um so like a, like an ancient an ancient greek punishment for someone who didn't really do much wrong in the afterlife sure oh yeah like, <laughs> like a mild like, you're annoying <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're, you're you're in tartarus and you're just there in a bathtub but like yeah it's just you're not having a great time. Yeah, like the yeah. candle smells a bit bad and the podcast you've got on is like Barstool Sports. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what I'm uh, doing yeah. after this. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's Riley, Milo and Hussein. And we are very pleased uh, to introduce for the first time on this episode. Anyway, that's right. For the yeah, first time ever. We have yeah. not done several versions of this introduction that had audio problems or anything. No, no, sir. No, no, Clean no. This sailing. Is, yeah. and, and we say this every time we do one with no problem. <laughs> and that's why we say it. So that you, the listener, know <laughs> that this is a smooth, professional introduction as per yeah. usual. Uh, it is, of course, uh, my pleasure to introduce our guest today. America's Trevor Strunk of the No Cartridge Podcast and author of Story Mode, available at fine mm. booksellers. Trev, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. How are you guys? I'm thank God to know that because I didn't until just now know that it was going pretty well. <laughs> yeah. It was it was really yeah, you were edge of your seat. I mean, yeah. you know, mm. what I not not that I've heard anything about your island before on no. a previous take, but oh, no. uh you know, just where we're I'm I'm coming to you all from the uh from the great plains and uh and vast expanses of America. Um it, it, which I'm told uh, by all of our state media is still the only superpower in the world. So mm. we're just we're riding high. It's great. Oh, yeah. You guys are going from strength to strength. Uh, yes, we're that's killing right. it every yeah. day with now. What, what is this You've now? Got a like president uh, who's awake and remembers stuff. It's all okay. going well. He definitely doesn't have three different voices. That's the main no. thing about our president. Um, uh, well, it's because they switch out the guys who are ventriloquizing him. It's, uh, it's always different guys, and they don't... And I mean, like, look, because of... Biden is just being constantly fisted by a guy who's a ventriloquist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's different guys, because it's mm. three of them are all, like, nephews of important people, and they okay, all yeah. had to share... It's like how in the Oxford Union, they, like, change the speaker, like, the leader of it, like, every two weeks, so that everyone yeah. gets a chance to put it on their CV. Oh, it's course, the same yeah. thing nice. with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's... it's, it's I, I, we love a, a cozy little club of uh, powerful people doing each other favors in fancy robes. Um, but... Uh, we're here. We are talking about uh, some some British stuff. Get and then, used to it. That's right. Then I've got a startup for us. But what I'm really excited to talk about mm. is this understanding this growing intersection of gaming and crypto that is challenging the world to reimagine how gaming works by adding employment relations to it. Awesome. Which is incredible to see. Very, very cool. Yeah. Like were you were you worried that the gaming community were getting dangerously cool? Time to introduce cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But I did see just before just before we started this, I did see a tweet pointing out that like um 
They had a great quote uh, attached to it, which is that they were talking about NFTs and said it, they remind, it reminded them of when Yahoo bought Tumblr and said that uh, Tumblr would be the next PDF, which is a, a, <laughs> sure. a really amazing. Uh, people won't know how to open it. That's right. Well, Tumblr is very hard to like open and use. So in many ways, yeah. in many ways, it is the new it, it, it was it was the new PDF. They manifested reality. Yeah. Right. You know, I've been sent all this cat girl porn on PDF. I'm going to scroll through it on my Amazon Kindle with one finger. Getting your glasses really low down your nose and just... Uh, mm. uh. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, iPad in a leather case with a front flap, you know, just scrolling through. Yeah. All these pictures of my niece. Yeah, she's a cat girl. Uh, 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 jacked off from my iPad. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about, about Britain first. Uh, and Trevor, of course, I encourage you to oh, I'll be asking. come in. <laughs> yeah, my, is- my grandmother, who is who is uh, currently convalescing from um, an illness, um, is a uh, 100% Italian and for some reason the biggest fan of the British monarchy that I know. So time to, time to learn more about the queen over why? here. Why? <laughs> she just she's a huge Anglophile. I've never known why she's. Oh, yeah. obs- Honestly, I thought it had I thought it had faded. And then uh, we were on vacation this summer and she uh She's like reading the news and she started uh, spouting off about Meghan and Harry and how much they were, uh, you know, just like be, oh, being it's... ridiculous and ungrateful. And I was like, wow, that's it's not aligned with any of your beliefs. But I guess that's what happens when you love the crown. The British royal family versus Harry and Meghan was such an alien versus predator scenario. <laughs> it's like, wow, I hate everyone in this argument. This is incredible. I just it's what I, what I know what it was. I think. Because I have a particular burning hatred of the British press, I sort of had an instinct to be like, well, I hate one side more. But then when Harry and Meghan started doing like um, mental health for investing apps or whatever, I was like, no, fuck all of these people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, Trev, you might be interested to know that um, uh, when uh, in, in, in government recently, uh, a Tory minister, uh, a peer, in fact, called Lord, one Lord Marland, uh, was responding to a plan in, a, in an animal sentience bill to like give lobsters more rights or whatever. Um, responded to a because <laughs> they can predict the World Cup. They yeah, need rights. That's right. Uh, they are productive members of society. Oh no. Um, uh, so Lord Marland uh, is uh, responding to a plan by an environmentalist called Chris Packham uh, to rewild royal estates by suggesting. He, and he said the following: Most of us are terrified of Chris Packham. <laughs> 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 what's what's great about Chris Packham is that he used to be. Do you remember there was like an a, like an, a big Twitter account like ten years ago called Gus the Fox mm-hmm. that was like a, a like it was like kind of like a sort of drill esque kind of like piss take of like a guy writing in character as a fox, mm-hmm. but who's like playing pranks on famous people by like like f- fucking a dead pigeon in their garden and then sure. like coming all over their rose bushes or whatever. But he Gross. was Chris Packham was like constantly featured. He was like Gus Gus the Fox's main enemy, and he was constantly like just took a shit on Gus the Fox's lawn on, on Chris Packham's lawn. Of course. Um, so that's, where, that's what that name triggers for me so, is. Anyway, uh, he's a, he's a TV chart for your benefit. He's a TV naturalist, kind of like a, like a, Oh, okay. Yeah. And like he a Steve Irwin. Uh, exactly. Like a Steve yeah, but not Urkel. Cool, like Steve um, Irwin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so he, hi- so Marland highlighted the TV naturalist p- petition to the queen, which said that she must rewild her entire estate. So that we can have bears and wolves back on it. Now, this is a metaphor for the Queen's pubes. We're going to no, rewild no. the estate. Oh, that's, oh, the, oh, yeah. that's the fifth estate, oh, baby. No. The oh, no. Oh, yeah. The crown don't crack. Uh, so, God. <laughs> so, um, basically, of course, it's important to have wolves and bears. Like, 
in the wild as apex predators. Otherwise, deer will basically prevent trees from growing, right? They just they overpopulate and eat everything. The conservative peer said, imagine going out of Balmoral with your corgis and being confronted by a bear and a wolf. <laughs> what? I mean, what sort of people are we listening to? We must protect the queen from bears and wolves. Because as you know, of course, bear, bears, and, bears and wolves are actually scavengers and do tend to go after dead bodies. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Because the weekend at Bernie's scenario with the Queen must be allowed to continue uninterrupted by things from the Twilight universe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, very I like I like the idea that the 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 Bernie and the, or not the Bernie, but the Bernie's employees in this situation are the corgis. <laughs> like she's being held up or like propped up between chairs or whatever by the corgis themselves. Mm. Yeah, uh, of they're, they're actually she's on roller skates, like Home Alone mm. style, just like yeah. Well, because those, those corgis are actually Greek sailors that she shrunk and turned into corgis. <laughs> They're entirely okay. sentient. They just can't speak. <laughs> That's exactly right. Thousands of years old. Um, but some actual uh, some stuff appears to have been more. More also things have been developing in the psychodrama that is the question of did Boris Johnson have a sad party in Downing Street last Christmas? Um, and I think sort of things are th- things have developed in such a way, right, where you can say his popularity is dipping and the media is turning on him because what's going on is a palace coup or at least I think an attempted one where. Um, because if you notice, the, uh, the, the Tories who are staying well clear of having been involved, who are staying well clear of mentioning that they, oh, who are also saying they don't support further lockdown measures and stuff, it's Rishi Sunak, it's Liz Truss, it's people who stand to possibly benefit from moving on from this guy, right? Liz Truss can't have been at that party. She was opening up new pork markets. Right. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely do believe, right, that there, it's number one, he is, his popularity is still pretty like... Not unassailable, but I don't think it's going to be like people love him and because he's the fun guy who's going to be corrupt on their behalf. Right. That's why they like him because we hate to say it, but he's cool. Right. I mean, like the Mm. fucking the whole thing with Peppa Pig world. Right. There were a bunch of libs who were like trying to have a go. It's so embarrassing that he lost his place in his notes. It's like, yeah, but he was funny about it. He was because he has charisma. Like as much as the guy's a dickhead, like he knows that if you lose your place in your notes to go like, how many of you have been to Peppa Pig world? It's nowhere near enough. Like that's funny. Like whereas Keir Starmer would go like, well, this is embarrassing, and that's not funny. And so, and this is why people love Boris Johnson. It's not difficult. Yeah, of course, because he's a good, he is a good yeah. media operator, and 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 that's just what it is, right? But well, it's I mean, like the you know, it's 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 passe to call anyone the Trump of anything, but like Johnson and Bolsonaro work as the Trump of uh, the UK and Brazil, mm. respectively, because they're both good at. Working the media, right? Like they both yeah. know what to do, like a funny co-op or yeah. like appear with a llama. Or well, I something. think was also was also crucial is that Boris Johnson isn't just good with media, but he understands the British media in a way that no one else ever will, just because of his history. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's and like again, like if we talk about like Allegra Stratton and stuff in this like sex section, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that her husband is the political editor of the Spectator, who came into his job basically under Boris Johnson's kind of leadership, or at least like he kind of entered that media world under that time. And like I think people really don't understand just how influential Boris Johnson has been in the history of British media in terms of shaping it and its culture mm. on in, in you know something that still exists to this day and crucially something that like journalists of this generation will fiercely defend above everything else. Mm. Well because of course to them a free and independent media means mm. I get to do whatever I feel like doing at any given time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They don't yeah. 
Well, or, and, um, and also just like, you know, um, the fact that like the, the kind of perception that media is very much, or like the real mm. British media is very much like an inner circle and there are mm. unwritten rules in that inner circle in terms of like how you act and like who you sleep with and all that stuff. And like, yeah, when again, you take the mask and the cape off, stuff like that. <laughs> and like Boris Johnson very <laughs> uniquely understands that. So it doesn't matter like how many like libs get mad at him online. It doesn't matter how many like Facebook comments and stuff happen. Like the press will not go after him in a way that is like, in any way kind of like damaging or cruel just because of who he is and what he understands. Or I, I would take that a little further. I would say they won't unless they're given a better offer by someone. For example, if, they, if you get to be the columnist that launches Rishi Sunak's ultimately successful bid for the premiership, then maybe you do turn on Boris Johnson because you have no loyalty to anyone or anything. Yeah. Um, maybe. But I, 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 think, I think right there... What's, what's happening? And Toby Young, it's your time to shine, baby. Oh, yeah, that'd be so fun. I'd love Toby Young being the new press secretary. I think that'd yeah. be great. Redoing his stag do, and it's just him and Rishi Sunak. <laughs> I think the, the other thing, right, is that there is this idea that's been in British politics for basically as long as there has been this form of British politics, which is mm. that if there is a major embarrassment, then that embarrassment is handled, drawn a line under, and then gets put into history by someone resigning, right? Someone yeah. t- and the And the... And again, other journalists, uh, so this sort of goes to your point, Hussein, have been lining up to congratulate Allegra Stratton for resigning because she like made a joke about there being no party in Downing Street a year ago. As the, but then like, I don't know, she's taken a job for a guy who just lies all the time. And so she lied on his behalf and is now and is now leaving. And there it's is such a, a fucking sideshow. I can't yeah. believe people are falling for it. Like the whole thing about like, oh well, you know, like uh, you know, uh, this bitch you've never heard of. Well, she's getting fired, so that I think the matter's closed actually. Yep. And also because because she made a joke about there being a party and about lying about it in this like kind of like cutting room floor like test video we made. So that's really the bad thing. It's not organizing the party or well, being at the party. Or also don't forget, it's bit the who cares about the party? It's like it yeah. is it that that's being made the issue by a sort of an, an entire political and media ecosystem that has decided uh, it is it is manifestly okay with all of the covid deaths for example that were easily avoidable. Yeah. It's it's so funny that it's being portrayed as though this this party is like the worst bit, like the insult to injury. Like, no, I don't give a fuck about the party. What about the stuff that mattered? <laughs> what about the stuff that actually fucking happened? I don't give a fuck about that. I assumed they were having a party. Like, are you dumb? Yeah. This is like when the fucking Panama Papers came out and it was all those Russian politicians who had billions of dollars and the reaction of the Russian public was like, of course, they are politicians. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, this is yeah. why. Reaction to this. Well, it's also just like, you know, when the, when the whole like party discourse was like happening, um, like, you know, and lots of people like pointed this out, but like the nationality and borders bill was also like receiving its third hearing. And like, this is a bill that basically, um, you know, takes what was essentially like a, like a, a denied conspiracy theory, like a decade ago about like British citizens getting their, um, getting their like citizenship revoked in like secret trials and secret courts, basically extending that international policy where anyone who like, you don't even have to have dual citizenship. Like you can have your citizenship revoked if you're deemed to be like a threat to national security or whatever. Right. <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and again, like I kind of think about this and I'm just like, well, when I was a journalists like looking into this story like the amount of denials that i got that this was happening in spite of like all the evidence uh, that was like collected by groups like cage and stuff about like mm. successive home secretaries basically implementing these powers and using secretive courts as a way of like ju- you know 
allowing it to pass through without kind of any sort of like public disclosure. Like this is an extremely dangerous and authoritarian bill from an extremely dangerous and authoritarian home secretary, um, who again is keeping very quiet because I imagine like, you know, this situation works to her advantage as well. Um, but like, you know, one of the observations that's like worth mm. making is that I, I, it, it's, it's not like the dead cat situation that people are, you know, that people are kind of proposing. Like, mm. I don't think it's as sophisticated as that because I don't think they're capable of it, but it is very much this kind of consequence of like having too much information. No one really knows how to kind of like prioritize it. And this party story is very much like a story about media in and of itself. So yes. it's the idea mm. that like this kind of established inner circle media group has decided that this is the story that like is not only kind of worth paying yeah. like attention and resources to, but it's one that like ultimately shapes the narrative of this political narrative much more than like institutional policy that mm. is much more kind of consequential and stuff that people in probably like in a few years or like even in a decade's time will be like, oh shit, that was like one of the most overt, like, you know, uh, positioning into this type of authoritarianism. Mm. And it's really weird how like we can't really talk our ways out of it now. I think that no, it's, it's funny. Like, I, I mean, obviously I don't have a ton to add here that uh, Hussein uh, and, and uh, uh, you other two jokers haven't said better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's how you're. I set am up a, on my I'm screen, a joker so. too. I would like to clarify that I am the three I am, jokers. Yeah. I thought you were a midnight toker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, nice. Uh, well, who's the smoker? Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, me. Uh, it's, um, uh, if we we we. It is it is Riley and Milo. If you want to I know it's Riley and Milo. Although some people do call me Maurice. Yeah. Uh, that's, um, okay. No, I I know your names. Yes. It was just funny to say the two jokers to me. All right. But um, uh, the one the one thing I um. One thing that like strikes me about all this is, is listening is that like coming from the states, hearing about the way that um, the parties have been dissected by the British media, you know, not knowing the sort of like more baroque um, ways that the media works in in your country uh, makes it so that like it seems like you guys are all super concerned about this party. Like I mm. saw like um, even like Rob Delaney retweeted Ant and Deck making fun of like the party that did or did not happen or something like that. And everyone was like, yes, mm. Anton deck. Finally, like finally, they're going to take deck down Boris Johnson. Heard. Yeah. Anton deck. The most, they, I, like people were like, the you don't like Anton deck. Anton deck. You don't <laughs> like people. Like they, they finally have and, like, it's, it seems to like an outside observer that like the entire nation is like, did they, or did they not have a party? Which is like charming from an American context where it's like, yeah, no, people have these parties all the time. They become super spreader events. I mean, we, just, mm. we had Sturgis in the middle of a, of a pandemic. Like, it's mm. it, no one is responsible here. So, like, it is, it plays into that myth of, and I think this is, this is something too, like, it plays into that very interesting international myth of, like, the British as, uh, a, a set of very proper like sort of like teacup holding like you know we we, we focus on the rules kind of things and like but that teacup you know, is full of cocaine yeah <laughs> that's right mm. but yeah i mean it's it's interesting to hear that like in fact this is just the same kind of thing that happens when like you know the, the american press focuses, focuses on january 6th instead of focusing on like a million of things million things that have happened during the biden administration that mm. uh have like actively eroded rights mm -hmm. so um kind of kind of fascinating to see how the press works in that regard, too, you, you know, even knowing that the British tabloid press is a is a, a mockery and a sham. 
Oh, yeah. indeed. Well, I think it's a bit like it's similar to like the turf stuff in respect in that like it's another one of these things where no one cares about it apart from a hundred people who all happen to have newspaper columns. And so like the mood of the British public, it's like wow, like the British public are really transphobic. It's like well, not really, but a bunch of people who have newspaper columns really are. <laughs> and like similarly, a bunch of people who have newspaper columns are really into this whole Christmas party thing for some reason. I guarantee you, the public do not give a fuck. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, yeah, no, and I, I, I picked that up with the turf stuff because I know so many people that are like, mm. you know, not turfs that they're just like, stop being the two percent of people that care about this. But like, mm. it feels like with the party, most normal British commentators uh, like yourselves, and uh, I mean, you have to follow the news, so you have to talk about it a little bit. But like, most normal British commentators are like, I don't care about the parties. Stop talking about the parties. No one cares. Um, of course the they stuff, had the party. Like, yeah. It's so funny that they're yeah. like, we need to investigate if they had the party. We know they had the party, and we don't yeah. care. All right, all right. Enough. Let's let's follow our own advice, and uh, let's leave. Let's make an Irish exit from this party. Uh, I've got a startup. By called- planting a bomb. God damn it. <laughs> I've got a startup. It's called Jupe. J-U-P-E. Trev, what do you think it does? Hmm. I think it's an acronym. Uh-huh. I think it is um, just using players efficiently and it is about um finding ways to to mainstream um fortnite strategies into building homes for the underprivileged (laughs) okay you actually have nailed one of the concepts of what they do but i won't say which one oh nice okay it is not Mm. however an acronym uh hussein Ah, oh i was i just had this thing which was just like what if the joker did goop Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so like uh like uh, a joker makeup but that like gives you good skin yeah uh, mm. unfortunately that is not what it is you know how i got these pores milo jupe um is it is it jupe in the sense of it is uh it's tricking you into buying some products uh yeah i guess so oh okay, okay. yeah no, ballpark abstract but ballpark yeah okay i'll uh, I'll, I'll add one of their uh uh, uh, uh log lines it's uh just add land Jupe, just add land. Oh, fuck. Is it what? like a way of selling land in the metaverse? Uh, no, we are going to be talking about something like that later, though. Oh, okay. Uh, just add land. Just add land. Is it like, that sounds like a, like an Ovaltine ad or something. Like, <laughs> or like uh, that, that those Oda head-on things, like apply directly to the head. That's oh, uh, <laughs> aristocrat Ovaltine. Yeah. Now he needed some land to enjoy it on. <laughs> Have a peasant. That's how you here. rewild. You, mm. you, you, that's how we're going to re, re, uh, rehabilitate the queen. Yeah. We'll, we'll just get her into a new place. We just add some well, land. It is a place that you can get someone into. We're going to try and breed the queen. <laughs> we're putting her in a new enclosure yeah. with, a, with an elderly man queen. from like Denmark. Uh, no. <laughs> so this was given to me by a friend of the show, Shanti Singh. Um, mm. Just add land. Jupe is a dwelling unit inspired by the stars. Dwelling, oh, dwe- dwelling. Oh. is it? Oh my god! Is it like luxury pods for homeless people? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> but oh. now, now here's the thing, right? I anything luxury for homeless people is something I would sort of like, sort of prima facie support. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, this is they started it as a glamping tent, right? right. Oh Jesus Christ! But, sure, right. But, Right, but that now they have some much broader ambition. Like at some point, someone took like a s- experimental serum, and like now has supervillain level ambitions for their glamping tent. Right. Okay, I yeah. see. So <laughs> let's talk about it. Um, it. Jupe is a dwelling unit inspired by the stars, designed for new frontiers beyond the city and off the grid. Mm-hmm. It isn't just a place to stay; it's a gateway to the outside world. 
Uh, That's just what a house is. Uh, it has a door. <laughs> made in a team, made in LA by a team of SpaceX and Tesla uh, veterans. Oh Ju- fuck! Oh. Off. oh, so it's going to explode? Fine. Is that what they're saying? <laughs> it's going to kill you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they, well, they had to say gateway so they remember to include a door. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it would just be a prison, and that's the kind of thing they would make by accident. I put yeah. my glamping tent on autopilot mode, and it drove <laughs> me into the LA River. Well, you know that Tesla <laughs> did uh, did fake one of their original um, autopilot uh, videos, right? Was, oh, like the Tesla bot that was just a guy? Yeah. No, it, they just pr- they put the car on a pre-programmed route, and apparently it crashed a bunch. Awesome. <laughs> they just filmed the part <laughs> that it didn't crash in. Uh, no. So, um, Jupe's luxurious birch interiors are machined to the millimeter. It's wrapped in the highest quality weather-resistant canvas, and the aluminum masts are milled to perfection. It includes a dimmable LED track lighting, a continuous double battery system, bedside USB charge stations. It has, like, a queen bed in it. It's like a very mm. nice glamping tent. Basically. Right. Why would the? But now it's for the homeless. Is like, are we to assume? Is this like? Is this one of those things where the homeless get something they really uh, don't need or want, like USB charging stations? <laughs> well, check this out. Uh, <laughs> this is from a job ad that I, I read of theirs. Uh, hi. So, what problem are we solving together? So, again, remember what we're starting with is a glamping tent made by some Tesla people. Okay. One and a half billion people don't have access to adequate housing. So mm-hmm. we're gonna, we've made this. We have again, just imagining that the problem is that there aren't enough tents, and we are not going to change that. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> um, the guy that started it, um, Jeff Wilson, uh, he wanted to experience what it was like to not live in a house, so he voluntarily lived in a dumpster for a year. Oh, oh cool. like Oscar the Grouch? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> he just listened to Pulp's Common People while watching uh, Sesame Street, and was like, "I got a plan." <laughs> I, lo- I love that he's managed to do something that isn't even really how homeless people live, in my understanding. I don't think homeless people are literally <laughs> living in a bin. I don't think that's how, like, he's, he's like, he's basically watched an episode of Top Cat and been like, wow, people are really living like this. So this is the quote. I lived in a dumpster for a year because I wanted to try to live using 1% of the volume and 1% of the energy of the average American home. Yeah, I also think this is a lie. Yeah, (laughs) a dumpster uses. I mean, listen, I'm not here to defend America. I guess I am here to defend American people, but I'm not good at it. I will say a dumpster is zero percent of the American energy in American home. Like what energy are you even using in the dumpster? Maybe he's got his laptop powered by sunlight. He's got his laptop. Yeah, he's in there. podcasting from the dumpster. That yeah, sounds great, actually. All the garbage yeah, yeah, really yeah. like kills the echo. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a very acoustically dry environment. Um. So, so right. So he's and then not he, a physically dry environment. He and his previous startup, which folded in 2018, uh, made like you know, like a wine bottle rack, right? Imagine mm-hmm. that, but the size of like a, a small apartment building. And then instead of wine bottles, you slot in housing units, and that was his last idea. And surprisingly, cool. it also failed. Just build an apartment building. <laughs> it's not difficult to build an apartment. We've been doing it since like the ancient world. They had them in ancient Rome. Just build, put houses on top of one another. It's an old technology that works. Just build more of them that aren't investment vehicles for cunts. It's that simple. How how does a tent solve anything? It still takes up space on the ground, which is the expensive part. It's more expensive than building <laughs> apartments. And what, what is wrong with these people's brains? <laughs> well, Milo, to answer your question, um, <laughs> uh, that they're building a hardware and full stack software platform to go after the shelter problem. 
Oh, fucking suck my dick. What the what the no, I mean, fuck they, does they, that they mean? really answered your question, Milo. I think like I think it's time for an apology. Yeah. You know? mm, <laughs> you, yeah. They really explained why this is so I would like to give them a full stack of my dick to suck. That's yeah. what. Yeah. Um, our our infrastructure trust-based software pro- platform will well, allow communities to move, scale, and pop up anywhere on the face of the planet. We call it universal autonomous housing. I call it the Mongol Golden Horde. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah they're fucking, they've invented the Huns. Like that's their thing now. Yeah, it's just it's like it's over. Like if you're if you're a peasant in like I don't know the, the like New Nevada or whatever, and you're sort of like um you're you're farming like uh, subsistence farming for like you know uh, Steve Wynn's great grandson that's like got a Morton Joe costume on, right? Then you see over the horizon a bunch of cyber trucks driving towards <laughs> you, and there a, a golden horde of tech bros is going to come and take you into bondage and force mm. you to milk mares. But it's yeah. modular bondage. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, right? Mm. Like it all has to, it's all modular, which means it's good. Mm. Modular it comes from the Grecian mod, yeah. meaning movable, and euler meaning good. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> uh-huh. So, but at our core, we're not just building tents. We're okay. Bu- we're building a shelter platform for the software that will book and control it. Because also, if you want jupes on your land, then they'll put them there for free. And then, then you can split the rent with them. Mm-hmm. So they invented sharecropping, too. That's neat. <laughs> our, cool. our one chassis can be reconfigured as a garden, a bathroom, a relief shelter, or even... Milo, get Why would you need a chassis for a garden? That's just outside. That's just the bit outside your house. You don't need a chassis for that. What Milo. is wrong with these people? Milo, check this out. You're okay. going to get the vein on your forehead that oh, you sometimes no. get when I next tell you this. I'm trying to look good, Riley. Or even a ball pit. Ah! <laughs> oh, we got it. I saw it. I see it. Ah! Whoa! <laughs> what? What, what, what utility does that have? I really see the vein. Oh, for ma- I can see sake. it. I can see it all the way, uh, like on the video. You yeah, guys you can aren't actually even maximized. see it from space. <laughs> yeah, it's, the vein is, is longer, come out. Longer term, we want to get to helping the world by putting an entire city on a ship. Not meaning like a city of popped up tents, but like an entire city worth of dwellings flat packed onto what a ship. What about Waterworld, if you consider that? <laughs> that yeah. can, and we'll be able to shift these around the world and reconfigure the fleet to whatever the greatest needs on the planet are to place in time. Whether that means providing dignified housing for refugees or accommodating remote workers who want to stay in warm climates year round. There's nothing oh, dignified oh, about yes. living on a big ship, okay? <laughs> so jot that down. Yeah. <laughs> are we are we getting to like the the like the generation ships that show up in every single sci-fi thing where they have to account for like light speed travel where they're just like, yeah, the Mormons got on this uh, generation ship and stayed on it for 700 years to cross the galaxy. Like is this are we, are we going to get there? It's SpaceX, right? Like we're going to put these people on a spaceship soon. Here's what I think is very funny, though. It's not Jeff Wilson that's actually the funniest character. It's a guy called Gary Tan, uh, who is um, a Silicon Valley investor, and he's really, 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 really loves going on Twitter and getting mad at people. Oh, okay. Uh, so oh, he's, he's Gary with two arms. He's R's the same as, as well. you and I. <laughs> that's right. He, we're, we're just like him. So he I'd be has, mad if I was called Gary, to be fair. He has a firm called Initialized Capital, and I have a theory that they have invested over and over and over again in this kind of um, new, new form of living type startups, right? New, new ways to distribute housing that just reproduce landlordism, right? Mm. Disruptive housing technology, specifically because he keeps getting in arguments with Shanti Singh and wants to prove her wrong. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> and so I, I, I think he has... I know this is based on nothing and just my supposition. I am pretty sure that he has a spite-based investment portfolio. Awesome. 
Un- uncritical support you're, you're as ever to Shanti Singh. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I now like even more now that I know that she's eroding this guy's money. So Jeff Wilson uh, <laughs> currently lives in a jupe unit in the middle of San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so an apartment yeah. he has an apartment Why in san not? francisco <laughs> yeah, exactly he has a stupid apartment in san francisco that's not very good yeah <laughs> so an apartment in san francisco yeah, absolutely anyway that's jupe i thought that was a lot of fun right mm. that's <laughs> exciting i mean honestly i i i love that we're taking the um the boring company like car tube technology and uh making it uh, i wouldn't have known this without milo's uh mm. vein induced uh coma or uh, you know palp i don't know what to call it uh <laughs> reaction uh, mm. earlier but like there really is that tube technology uh brought into housing which is so so very exciting um mm. we'll just yeah. have a single horizontal stream of housing forever get in the big homeless tube that's what we want. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, well, I also love that like their solution to homelessness still involves having a landlord. And it's like, do you not realize that's the only thing making people homeless is that they can't pay that? Like, if people could afford the rent, they wouldn't be homeless. They're not they're stupid. Literally... They're not like, oh, I wish I could live in a tent. That's not. It's just because they don't have the money to live in a house. So if you invent a solution that's as expensive as living in a house, that's not going to solve the problem. There are millions of people that think the homeless actually make like a better mm. wage than you and I and are secret millionaires. So mm. I don't know, like the ideas of yeah. why the homeless are like, I, I think like there's those, more than uh, just like seven year old children who are like, why do homeless people not get a house? Like, I think yeah. that's like an actual question a bunch of 30 somethings mm. have. Yeah, they've, they've, they haven't got all those expenses that homeowners have, like gas bill or the mortgage or whatever. So they must be rich. Yeah. They're just they pocketing pocket all, all that money. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's pure all profit. those sweet, sweet donations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they all have Maserati. Yeah, that's tax right. man can't yeah. put his, his hand in their pocket. That's yeah, right. you don't have an address. The tax man can't find you. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, it's just me, my crypto wallet, and my guitar. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, they also do pay you in crypto at Jupe. Your four hundred one k is in crypto if you work at oh, Jupe. <laughs> oh, no. We put you into this pyramid scheme as an investment. And that's future. so terrifying. Like yeah. I, I feel like I, I think about it. My my poor wife is is much more financially uh, literate than I am. So she's had a four hundred one k longer than I have, and she'll she'll keep a general sense of like what's in her four hundred one k. And like I I like I just think about her poor face. Like it breaks my heart thinking about someone saying now it's in Bitcoin and her having to like <laughs> monitor crypto markets. And like every time it tried, like oh god, my four hundred one k like mm-hmm. somehow even worse than the stock market. That's right. Oh, yeah. But speaking of markets and crypto and stuff, I want to move on Always. to our main topic for the day. And uh, 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 Trev, your well, your all of your input on uh, the Queen and Downing Street parties <laughs> and Jupe is so appreciated. The main oh, reason we have called you here today. Uh, mm. So, I basically I was uh, I was reading as I often do. When I'm sort of thinking of what to talk about in this podcast. I was reading um, an article that was on the Andreessen Horowitz website because they publish a lot of fucking crazy shit is that okay. mark andreason mm. uh, yeah that's the same one okay mm-hmm. yeah. insane man yeah, yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that and that uh that a16z into now that's what they call themselves a16z because that's how many letters there are between a and z and andreason horowitz um yeah they, oh. that's why they call themselves that is real okay. stupid wow, i was that's... gonna say no no it's 24 yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh that's really annoying i really don't like that i'm really you really sounded like your brother there just now so They've written this long article about their positions in the future of gaming, right? Uh, and how that is tied in with crypto. 
I and, bet it's in a good way. Oh, of course. Oh, and, yeah. And so what I found sort of interesting about this, right? They say, we're talking about... This is a transcript of a podcast that they did. We're talking about an emerging model of gaming called Play to Earn, in which players make actual money based on how much time and effort they put into a game. Uh, Trev, what's your... Just the, the headline there, the headline concept. How does that strike you? It strikes me as... So uh, I had a friend who... Uh, is, <laughs> Interesting guy. His name was Michael Moore, mm-hmm. uh, but he wasn't that Michael Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he joined the special <laughs> you forces. Didn't know if you heard of him as uh, guy Michael Moore? Yeah, <laughs> make some movies. Uh, no, he joined the special forces because he he felt so. In he actually was inspired by Metal Gear Solid to join the Army Special Forces. That's the coolest um, thing anyone's yeah, ever awesome, done. Yeah. He, he's he he then he he stopped being it. I don't believe he's in them anymore. But he uh, he still he has that really little exclamation loved- point over his head though. <laughs> 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 but he uh, he used to play Eve online mm-hmm. and w- told me that um, he would go to his normal job every day, which was at a beer distributor, um, mm-hmm. which I'm realizing is no, so a beer store. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, then uh, come home and play his second job, which was Eve online. And what I'm realizing is um, he didn't actually make real money from that. Uh, and now like with, with this thing, he could have three jobs yeah. and make a little extra mm-hmm. pocket change on the side. I think it's like, you know, 24 hours of the day, why not have three? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah eight, sure. eight, eight hours for work, eight hours for work, and eight hours for work. And eight hours yeah, for right. even, but it's like progressively stupider. Like eight hours for normal work, eight hours for like moderately stupid work, and then eight hours for just like completely insane work. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow the most insane work in that is the one that actually earns you money while playing the game. Like yeah. there, there's something so cracked about earning money while playing video games mm. that like, gets me even beyond like you know mm. oh gotcha games you have to play for like you know the you have mm. to pay sometimes to, to gamble to see what characters you get or like oh you know like there's like a market uh or like a, a, a gray market for a gun um uh you know like uh flare in uh in um uh it's in Counter Strike, Conquer, right? right oh yeah all right Oh yeah, like like you know the 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 Saudi prince buys a bunch of Command and Conquer flair. Mm. Like you can you can sell it for thousands and thousands of dollars depending on what you get. Yeah. Or hats in uh, in um, Team Fortress Two. That all makes sense to me in a certain way. The one where you get a paycheck from the game mm-hmm. feels like a bridge too far. <laughs> like I, I I I'm unwilling to accept it. Well, because it immediately raises the question: Where is the money coming from? And I suspect <laughs> the answer is nowhere good. <laughs> well, well we, what's very funny is that the um they're ta- so uh, the people at Andre are talking to uh, two people. One person who is the... Um, Both head, on their shoulder yeah. on each <laughs> who's, side. Who's the head of mm. uh, this company, Sky Mavis, which makes this crypto game called Axie Infinity, which is... called what? It's called Sky Mavis. It's, uh, who cares? Okay. Uh, it, they make a crypto game called Axie Infinity, which is like blockchain-based Pokemon. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, I, just, I fucking hate it. Cool. So, anyway. so I mean, how, how long can we expect uh, until the bored apes mm. are catchable by, by our good friends in, in this game? I would like to catch and kill a bored ape. <laughs> I would like to exciting. find a bored ape and garrot it. That would be my <laughs> preference. But so, right, they're talking to the one person from Sky Mavis, and they're talking to another person from a uh, Yield Guild, uh, which is a a Yield company, a, a company that basically indentures people who can't afford to start playing Axie Infinity. So they have enough oh. money to buy their first NFTs, <sighs> and then they work off the money they borrow. And this is horrifying. Wow, that's so bad. It's like it's like the plot of of any given like mm. MMO where you're like, 
oh, well, you know, you, you need to join the Adventurers Guild. I'll cover you for now, but you have to do a bunch of quests to make it up for me. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're just leveling up by killing slimes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's real. Mm-hmm. It's real. <laughs> like so yeah. your boss just emails you like, hey, uh, notice you didn't kill those seven slimes earlier today. Like we got we got kind of a client, uh, you know, the, the 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 client really wants this by tomorrow. So if you could kind of stay late and kill some slimes, that would be huge. Thanks so much. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> Going to need those dead slimes on my desk by Monday. So yeah. here's the one thing. <laughs> the guys from Andreessen are constantly trying to get the people they're interviewing, the people from Yield Guild and Axie, say, no, of course this isn't a pyramid scheme. Right. They are trying so hard to get them to say it. And it's really I find it really reassuring when people say, and by the way, this isn't a pyramid scheme, because that's how I know it's not a pyramid scheme, (laughs) such as that company we talked about the other week who had on their website. This is not a pyramid scheme. And I was like, well, no further questions. (laughs) So they say, okay, so so Andreessen says, okay, so people are paying to get in. So you have to buy several NFTs of Axies, which are like the Pokemon you play with. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they battle. It's the, the same game mechanic as Pokemon, really. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so people are paying to get in and then, stupider. and then interacting with their characters and they're competing and earning their rewards. But help me understand the sustainability of this business model. How do you think the underlying economics are work here? Uh, Axie replies, Axie is a little bit of a growth dependent com- com- economy, just like any emerging market country. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just like any conical-shaped company, uh, it's a company that's it's narrower at the top than it is at the bottom. No, <laughs> it is a little bit dependent on capital inflows, mm. meaning people paying mm. in so that other people can mm. get paid out. It's, <laughs> interesting. Uh, it's interesting. a trapezoid, this <laughs> company. But long term, uh, it's really important for us to have players that are in the economy spending because they think the game is really fun or, they, or that they see ways to trade like money, like money for power or respect. And the more Axie becomes like a real social network, a nation, the more opportunities for those types of value exchanges arise. Um, And then again, they say, but this isn't just about getting capital in and giving it to the people who've been in here longer, right? They say, what are the key factors making play to earn sustainable? Like, how do you think about potential ceilings and capital inflows and participation? They say, in many ways, these economies are going to be similar to real world economies. They're very Mm -hmm. complex. And I think that continuing to manage the capital and token supply and all the dynamics of the metaverse is going to be a real challenge. And so it's like... A wizard will do it. Yes, actually. Absolutely. Wow, it's going to be hard to make this not a pyramid scheme. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Um, Uh, Don't worry about it. There are other shapes. So the way that it actually works, right? the way that this works as play to earn is that you buy your NFTs, you start playing Axie Infinity, right? And then as you get uh as you beat other axes in battle uh then you get um like in-game tokens called smooth love potion oh fuck off fuck off fuck off Uh, no no one involved in any of these things has ever had sex (laughs) it makes me so mad (laughs) right so uh you can trade the slp for cryptocurrency on online exchanges and then you can trade that then that cryptocurrency is basically money right so what happens is the more you play the more you get the more you play, the more you win, the more you get tokens. It's kind of like that fantasy football startup that we talked about last week on the bonus episode, right? Where it's just you are, you're, the, the more money you have going in, the more money you are able to earn because you're more likely to win and therefore win money. But, but like, continuing oh, it's like to, the economy. Continuing to, fu- exactly. Continuing to fund these exchanges is basically based on new money coming in. And I've never seen another, ex- I've never seen anyone convince me otherwise. That it's not just based on getting getting money in to pay out mm. money to other people. 
and I can't stress enough that it's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Legally, the position of the podcast is that none of these things are pyramid schemes. Right. And so, and then, and I'll, the last thing I'll explain how work works here, right? Which is, if you are just a person, usually someone who's, um, uh, it's usually someone who is as wealthier, possibly you live in Europe, North America, or whatever. You spend money, you get your guys, right? And then you give your username and password to someone usually in the Philippines, and then they spend eight hours a day just grinding for you, right? Oh, God. And then you l- pay them a wage based on that you let them keep part of what they grind for you, but because you own the means of production, the Axie, you keep the vast majority of it. It's real linen coat shit. actually a part, like an actual part of the... Did they, is this built in or is this an exploit? No, well, it's neither. An imagined exploit. It's an imagined exploit, but... When the developers of Axie saw this was happening, because every crypto libertarian, their main form, their main thing, reason they like libertarianism, right? That they, 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 they like crypto is that, uh, they, and they think it's good for this this idea of libertarianism that they have is that they think that that libertarianism is when two people make a contract. So they love like employment contracts and wages and stuff. They just um, love slavery. Yeah, of course. Uh, but when you have an ownership relationship with something, and then you relate to others through contracts, um, and so they don't like the fact that all, all of the ways that we were describing earlier, right, which are genuinely play to earn, like World of Warcraft gold farming, selling counter, Counter-Strike skins, all that. They don't like that because it depends on that central authority uh, who gives you out a thing to sell. They like the idea that they are contracting one another to exchanging actual currency and so on and so on. Um, and so what, how this then works is they saw this happening and then they institutionalized it. So Yield Guild was started up. They have something called scholarships, right? Where they bring in scholars who are players, uh, and then they loan they loan them the money to get started, or they just basically hire them out as employees to someone wealthier, who then gets them to work at their factory, more or less. But so what they've done is they have created a version of Pokemon that involves a literal wage relationship by two people playing the game. Oh. Yeah! Wow. Um, and actually, it's better I mean, when you so- get children today. So they've got small hands, and they can get down the back of the computer and pull the cryptocurrency out. <laughs> That's right. Mm. You know what's what's like what's shock? What's so interesting about this is like, I mean, I say shocking, but it's not shocking. Like, what it is interesting the the sense of like how relationships between like value and luck and chance and and all these things work in contemporary games is already like a a big issue of conversation because so many games are heading towards like the loot box model right or the Mm. the gotcha model um and in there like you know you you put money in and you say okay like um or you 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 know you use the free currency and you say well my team isn't strong enough so like oh i'm gonna pay to get this stronger character or like in the case of uh this game genshin impact people complained because they said they had a um like a, uh, a, you know, a mental sort of like ship relationship with uh, one of the characters that was on on purchase, and so they didn't want to put a bunch of money into gamble for a character they felt was like connected to them somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, there's that, but then there's also tier lists, right? So like, oh, the strongest guy is this, or the strongest girl is this, right? Like, or the weakest one is this. And I'm just imagining like spending thousands to get an NFT. And then, or like getting your parents to give you thousands of dollars for an NFT, which some kid is going to do for this game, whatever. And you find out it's like a mid NFT mm-hmm. and you're just like, you're looking at tier lists online. You're like, oh God, like my, my Aki is like, 
is pretty like pretty weak. Like it's not going to ever get to the end game. <laughs> and you're just <laughs> looking at these other ones. You're like, my crypto thing is bad. And you know, you're, you're taking it out and you're a Filipino worker. Like it sucks. <laughs> it's so bad. It's really awful. I mean, it's the, um, it is, it is hilariously bad. Um, and what, what, what I think about this, right? I have a lot of things I think about this, but like it's what, at this point, what is a game? Right. If it's just your job, what is a game? It reminds me of um, <clears throat> it reminds me of the sort of Keynesian idea that you can uh, jumpstart the economy by getting people to do like, uh, you know, what, what, what David Graeber or what anyone might call a bullshit job where you go like, OK, um, dig holes on a beach and then fill them in and I'll pay, you know, like twenty dollars an hour. Um, and so people are getting money. You're, you're technically employing them, but they're also like, um, you know, it's not a real job because you know, there aren't real jobs right now. Like that's uh, uh, Keynes's idea. So during the Great Depression, we just hire people to do nothing, um, you know, gas up the economy and then the rest comes. It's, it's a basic capitalism idea. So, you know, whether or not it works is kind of up to your ideology. But like it reminds me of that, except you need to it goes back to what you guys were talking about with Jupe, where like you need a landlords all of a sudden. Like it's it's the Keynes idea, except we need someone who can exploit your labor. Like if no one's being exploited, it doesn't count. Mm. So you can't even like it, it's not even like, OK, joining this game and everyone gets the same stuff and just like jump around the map a little bit, you know, hit hit your slimes or whatever. And if you hit like 100 slimes, we'll give you, you know, a dollar. And so everyone just does that on their free time and makes, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. Still exploitative and weird, but not this. Like this is so hypercharged into being like late stage crony mm. gross capitalism that i'm i'm honestly a little impressed yeah, yeah it's right. so, yeah. so also, it was also kind of provided and this makes sense like coming from like um andreessen as well because he's kind of been on like other podcasts to like talk about um i think he i think he's like one of those guys that sort of fetishes fetishizes like has this fetishization over like the notion of like the libertarian city state um, right. And just this idea of like basic, like basically shadow economies, which are like hyper libertarian in like mm. economic activity and exchange, but also like incredibly patriarchal and like have the sort of trad aesthetics and everything. Like he's kind mm. of one of those really mm. weird tech people um, who like moved to Miami because they really resent like Silicon Valley yeah. by which and when they talk about the excesses of Silicon Valley what they actually mean is like oh shit our workers are unionizing um, because of like woke leftist politics so we all need to sort of move to the city state where we can like do all this weird stuff but like their kind of premise of both metaverse and just like the kind of virtues of cryptocurrency is this idea of basically creating like a shadow economy um, which they believe will be like more prosperous and more um, like, uh, we, we, well, they can kind of get wealthier off that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and to do that, they basically need to kind of like create the aesthetic of like the shadow economy. And what's and what's really interesting but insidious about this one is that like you're completely right in the sense of like this is incredibly exploitative in a way that sort of accelerates the exploitative nature of like esports gaming and just like most video, like most kind of collaborative video games right now. But what it does is kind of like present this false idea. Or like it coerces people into like make kind of forging these exchanges in which like they take on like the burden of risk without yeah. the kind of any of the benefits. And again, mm -hmm. it's like that classic sort of like metaverse 
um, criticism, which is like, ultimately the platform still wins, right? Like this isn't mm. like for all the kind of talk about like emancipation and decentralized like digital economies and web free and like uh, what you call it, the, um, the creator economy and everything. What this essentially is, is like putting more risk onto like users that you're basically coercing into being different variations of gig economy worker. Mm. I, I, yeah, and, to, and to build off that, uh, I'm sorry to jump in again, but to build off that just like immediately, like it, it, it is also that funny libertarian thing of making the uh, the sort of secret relations of capital um, obvious, like mm-hmm. like a communist would do or, or a Marxist would do, but then saying like, it's good because I made it obvious to you so you can make the choice yourself, right? right. Like you talk about loot, loot crates and the, the general discourse, like I, I'm sure you guys have seen like they were banned in Denmark and like the EU is all over them. But like um, the the discourse is always like these kids don't know what they're getting into, right? Like you spend $2,000 of your parents' money on FIFA. They don't know that you're doing it. You don't know what you're doing. And then all of a sudden you're 2,000 grand poorer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, $2,000 $2, poorer. <laughs> Very yeah. few people spend $200,000 on FIFA, but I'm sure they're out there. Oh, 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 um, oh, people do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, that's almost the weekly wage of a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> and a podcaster. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, like it, what's fascinating about this is, and it's, it's coming from Andrewson's perspective, is it says up front, what we're doing is exploiting you. Do you agree to this? And when you do, you, it says like, okay, great. Then then we're all on the mm-hmm. same page. The exploitation's good because you acknowledged it. And that acknowledgement counts as some sort of like... Um, almost like a sanctification of the of the the relations where like all of a sudden it's not exploitative because someone has said like yeah i agree so um that's right it was, it's kind of like it's almost like the re- it's, like, it's almost like the argument that is kind of constantly made about like whenever someone tries to explain the value and virtues of nfts to like any normal person it is it's very much mm-hmm. like source cited believe me bro uh you know i mm-hmm. i say it's valuable therefore it is except like in this instance it is like it's very clear what's what's like happening which is like these tech guys kind of know mm. that once like web free is sort of built in like whatever stage that it is and like once the kind of like infrastructure is built around it you know they can kind of decide what's valuable and what isn't and in the same way that like platforms have been so adept to like you know really narrowing the way in which we like communicate and exchange and like you know share stuff online they can sort of accelerate that further into like having even more control over like the financial exchanges and the types of like contracts and relationships that we right. form with people in this like, hyper formalized way, which again, like ultimately benefits platforms. Like this is like, you know, for all the kind of like sophisticated language that people try to use to describe web free is again, like this decentralized network, really all it comes down to once again is that this is just kind of the further cementation of like the platform economy. Um, yep. And so I want to talk a little bit. We've been talking a lot about this idea of the value, right? The, that there is some value that is being captured here. It's being captured from work. Uh, it's being captured for, by, um, in this case, uh, someone who is working a waged, unproductive job, right? Because you're not actually doing or making anything. Um, it is production. It is production with an exploitative relationship, but without production. It's profit, rather, mm-hmm. without any production, but with the exploitative relationship of production. The person from Andreessen says, we think that the people creating the value should be participating in the upside. But what is the value? Right? We, say, we say this concept that's just bandied around of value. You're creating value. We're creating value together. We'll find the value here. But what is the... Is it used value? Is it exchange? I guess it's pure exchange value. You are creating exchange value out of nothing. Yeah, nothing's actually being created. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not even saying that all production, say, needs to be material because it manifestly doesn't, right? Uh, you know, if you're... Yeah, you can create, like, you know, esoteric things or things that aren't physical. You can, you can create a... You can give us your own full-time job. You can, do a, you can do a comedy speech. You can make a podcast. If only that was my full-time yeah. job. <laughs> if only my full-time job wasn't the hundred other things I've had to learn to do just to be able to do that. <laughs> your full-time job is modeling, of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, that's always, baby. Um, but no. It's, we're we, stuff from Ikea in my coupe. <laughs> we, we're, we're talking about this, right? We're talking about this, this concept of value. Um, and, but what this is, this is, this is, is the value here being produced is, uh, almost necessarily as something within the world of a game imaginary. And then you're get and you're exchanging money that is for it. That is also imagine. I mean, all money is, is imaginary. It's all relational, but this is money that's backed by a Pokemon game rather than say the, uh, administrative, administrative and military power of a country. Just a bit of a difference. Right. But they're asking you, of course, to exchange. It, that's why I always think it's very funny with the crypto people, right? Like, our cryptocurrency is great. Everyone loves our game. And what's really important is that our game has its own currency. But what we want is as much of your currency that's the boring old fiat currency. Boo. Give, give us or other people on our network a bunch of that. Because, of course, you don't actually pay uh, a Sky Mavis. You don't pay them the money to buy the axes. You buy the axes from someone else. They will mint right. axes occasionally, but mostly they're just traded between one another. Um, and, uh, 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 and then, uh, th- but then if you're axie, what, you, what do you have is you have all of these, this cryptocurrency, it's very, this money that you've invented that's very valuable that you get to keep. And so when we talk about the value that's being created, the value that's being created isn't axie experience points. It's not smooth love potions. It's not whatever, Right. The value that's being created is the wide, broad-based belief in the legitimacy of the currency itself, of the blockchain, of this particular blockchain. That's the value that's being created. If you want to know where the profit is coming from in terms of money you can actually spend, that's where it's coming from. It's not coming from anyone doing any particular work-based task. But what we have done is because we have imagined a kind of um, um, uh, sort of future where people who are surplus to the requirements of production, because they specifically say in this interview that the people who are doing the waged work on this game are people who have lost their jobs and are living at home, mostly in the Philippines. They lost their jobs due to COVID. So they have been almost replaced. They have new jobs that are not connected to production, but they still need to have a wage relationship with someone taking 30 to 40% of the tokens that they farm on a daily basis by playing this game, right? It's, it is, it is, value is coming from inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's so, what's so fascinating too is like the way that, um, you know, the way that we, we get this, uh, and, and you've all brought up Web3, um, which I looked into a little bit more in prep for this. Uh, didn't learn a lot, but uh, I, I learned that I just think about uh, Bug Deal's classic uh, tweet where uh, he says, um, uh, I have it pulled up. It's uh, I'm, I'm thinking of making a new uh, email uh, where there's no subject line. It's going to be called email two. Um, <laughs> and, and then uh, there's a great response. Uh, you should go go check that tweet out if you yeah. ever get a chance. Bug deal uh, email plug, two. It's a plug for the tweet. Plug yeah, for the tweet. Check out Very that good tweet work. if you're if you're uh, about. Yeah. But that's that's I think what people think of when they think about Web three, right? Like some sort of improvement on Web two, right? This is some some, some sort of like intensification or, or increasing. And I feel like when you look at stuff like this, it, it's almost all re-justifications for keeping the status quo within um, 
you know, a typically exploitative manner instead of kind of accepting the fact that we're sort of, if we're entering, if we all agree that we're entering some sort of post-productive phase um, with a lot of our, our labor or, or some sort of idea that like, you know, what we produce isn't productive or quote unquote productive in the same way that it was before that really what we should be doing is, um, you know, de-instantiating, uh, you know, the ways of uh, wage relations that we've already set up, right? Like we're, we're sort of like, everyone's obsessed with getting outside of a Fordist way of production and what that means. But we're also obsessed with saying like, but you, you, you'll still work. Don't worry. You'll mm-hmm. still, you'll still do something of value instead of saying like, why aren't we just giving the money to these, to the people who lost their jobs? Like yeah. if, if we truly believe that we're producing nothing by doing this, if this is truly just an excuse, <laughs> like literally the, the total example of busy work, why don't we give them the money? Because the only thing it's producing is more wealth for the wealthy. And, and like at a certain point, yeah, I get why the wealthy want that, right? Like certainly, but at a certain point, like people in the middle class or the, or the the lower classes or something have to start saying like, wait, why are we trying to justify, like, why are we trying to come up with another way to make me do like some busy work that we all agree isn't productive for the money that you said I was, you know, making before with my quote unquote productive labor that unfortunately isn't here anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's a weird like justification, right? Well, here's the justification they give. They say right now there is... There is untapped economic opportunity in emerging markets to provide jobs by building a virtual economy. So that's what exactly <sighs> what they're saying is we are going to we are going to build an imitation of the economy outside the economy. The potential may be untapped, but everyone who works at this company is completely fucking tapped. Let me tell you, <laughs> it rules. It's great. Yeah. yeah, it's just you know they they read they read Neuromancer and said why not me? Uh, they said the way we define a quote unquote job is quickly evolving because of crypto and gaming. And we think we're just starting to glimpse what's possible in this realm. So Yeah, dumb and annoying shit. <laughs> so this is the person from Yield Guild. Uh, one of the hallmarks of the shift from Web 2 to Web 3 is that the communities are opt-in and incentive aligned by shared economic ownership, but the kind of traits that lead people to share the same affiliation. Again, opt-in like a wage labor job, for example, is opt-in. You can do it or you can not be involved in the real economy. Or in this case, you can yeah. do it or not be involved in the um uh, a virtual economy i think one of the and key opt in, yeah opt in ultimately at the at the at the end sorry to interrupt but opt in at the end is, is just like you opt in or you start <laughs> yeah yeah, like, yeah. It, you know, it's like jupe. you that, you're opt in op, opt in opt in to jupe or be homeless mm. still mm. like it's it's all yeah. these sort of opt-ins that are just like obfuscating the actual opt in or opt out so they, they go on people stay here because they choose to be here and they help build the culture of this tribe there's a shared economic incentive. There's a cultural incentive. But if people want to quit the network and join another network, no one is preventing them from doing so. We see ourselves as a necessary layer to bring people from the real world into the metaverse, especially for those who can't afford it. This is about you know, the indenture that you get, basically. But once they're, once they're there and have an income, we actually encourage them to turn people from gamers to investors. And for me, it's like Web 2 reduced people into statistics that's about daily active users and clicks. And with Web3, with this community-based acquisition growth, we're turning them back into individuals again. Individuals who are creating content, learning how to play, earning money. And we see all these stories of people whose lives were profoundly changed by earning this money. And I think that's really significant. Um, Oh, my fucking God. But why weren't the individuals... I mean, this is just like... I know I'm preaching to the choir, but like, why weren't the individuals before? Like, what was so de-individualized about them that like they... Was it that they didn't have a job? Like, well, does that, you that make don't, you not that an you individual? It's that you don't own your Twitter page. Mm. Right? You don't own your character in World of Warcraft. Blizzard owns your character in World of Warcraft. 
And, and, I guess, but ultimately, yeah. I mean, like that's, the, what, that's code, their argument. I think. Oh yeah, no, I, I yeah. I mean, like it, it's a funny argument because, like, ultimately, it comes down to that NFT argument where, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I play Final Fantasy fourteen way too much, and I don't own my character in that. Like, Square at any Square Enix at any point could say, like, now we own this guy and we're going to use him in all our like marketing. Like, and and he's going to be doing stuff like saying money is really good, and I love <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I love venture capitalism. Yeah, sort of stuff gonna, that you say, Trevor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. the sort of stuff I say, but in a in a sarcastic voice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he'll be saying it. As, I only say it earnestly. Uh, but you know, like the the uh, they could do that. But ultimately, like I could take a screenshot of my character. I know what I've done with my character. I, I'm not the kind of person that comes up with backstories for my characters in games. But like when people do, that's their backstory. Like they did that. I, yeah. it, it exists. It's you know. It, it's the same thing as an NFT where you say like, yeah, well, but, but I own the code for the picture. And it's mm-hmm. like, but, but what is that? <laughs> yeah. What, what do you actually like? What, what, what value does that give you as a person? Like right. you can explain to me the technology behind it. I get it. It's there. It's blockchain, well, whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah. this is the thing, isn't it? It's kind of like the severe, severe sort of argument when, when you kind of, when, when you kind of present the question of like, okay, so if you own the code to this picture or whatever, like what does that kind of like mean in material terms? Right? Like their right. thing is very much, it will mean something eventually because when the kind of like aesthetic architecture of web free or whatever, like develops, then like this thing that I bought will have like this kind of like tangible value because these platforms will sort of coerce every kind of, you know, these, these platforms will kind of create a new infrastructure of value um, that you kind of have to abide to anyway. Right. So for them, it's very much like this is, they kind of conceive this as a, as a long play. But what I was going to say was like, I don't think any sort of normal person has ever lost sleep on the idea that like, they don't own like Sephiroth or like whatever fucking character <laughs> like they do. I'm not like a games loser or anything. Um, but I don't, I think that like, unless you are kind of like so entrenched into like your virtual world or like you're so kind of like, you have such an affinity to your Dungeons and Dragons. Ca- I mean, it's not, you can't even like apply to Dungeons and Dragons really. Can you? Um, well, because Dungeons and Dragons, you literally own the same stuff you own in an yeah. MMO, which is like essentially what they're building here. Yeah. Like, if if it's all in my imagination, then I own I own the things that I own in that game, right. whether I own this, them or not. This own is not even the right word to use, really, right? Because you <laughs> no, don't own well, what's yeah, in your of, imagination. Yeah, you, you, you own it kind of in the same way that you own a franchise. Yeah, uh, but right. So this is, I think, the, the the thing here, right, is that what they've done is they've taken cryptocurrency to solve a problem that no one really has. Uh, and then <laughs> use that as their justification yeah. to have lots and lots of people buying their token for real money. Yeah, and that's basically like if you want to look at what the flywheel is here, that seems to be what it is. And there's like an and there's like an important conversation here because I think that like I wrote about this like a few weeks ago, but I think there's like a real there's like a tendency among like certain people on the left to like kind of dismiss all of this, like to kind of say that like all this is fake and it's like not worth engaging with and so on. Um, and I and I and I agree with that, but I think this is just like another example of like we have this crisis right now where no one can really kind of imagine what a better future looks like, and I don't think that's like something that is kind of holding on to the left. I think that is like a much broader kind of problem um, that you know, it almost like transcends politics, almost goes beyond it. Like no one, no every, every like most people kind of realize that they're like things are not working out, but no one can kind of imagine what an alternative is. And what these tech guys have done, they've kind of identified the same problem. Um, but what they kind of their kind of like proposed solution to it is not like let's fix the problems that we've broken or let's like use our kind of enormous amounts of wealth and resources to like you know 
try to kind of build a much uh, a more like um, democratic, equitable society or whatever. For them, it's very much let's kind of build and also like let's build this like virtual shadow economy or shadow society that can paper over like the material world um, where all its worst excesses can be accelerated. Um, and yeah, like I th- I don't know. I think it's like worth kind of really countering that and but also recognizing that a lot of this like a lot of this dystopic stuff comes out of like the central question uh of like what does a better society look like um and i wonder whether like people are kind of buying into the idea of like nfts and crypto as the future in the same way that like you have i think like some well-meaning people who look at elon musk and kind of see that they and see this like visionary that uh is going to like change the world right like it comes out of this place of well if the state's not going to do anything and if politics isn't going to achieve anything then we may as well like put our faith into this guy. And I think like the NFT tendency is almost the same thing where it's like, okay, this might feel complicated and this might feel kind of like out of my depth, but it's a, you know, at least it's kind of like a proposed solution uh, to something that I know is kind of structurally wrong. And I think, you know, and then like, it makes sense that like these tech guys who again are very aware of this tendency and very aware of the politics that like induces it can exploit that. And, you know, even better that it's out of your depth in a certain way where you say like, you know, because one of the benefits of someone like Elon Musk is you say like, well, he's he's just smarter than me. Right. right. Like, yeah. that's the idea. Like, yeah. well, he you know, he knows stuff. I don't like he you, know, you got you got to have people out there. Maybe he's a jerk. Maybe he's like bad to his employees, but he comes up with these ideas. Mm. And like the answer is he doesn't like, I'm, yeah, you of know, course. Yeah. I'm no, no fan. But like the the blockchain is, is the same way where you just say like well you don't get the blockchain but i promise it's like it's super helpful like it's effective <laughs> and at that point it's like yeah okay i, I mean better that i don't get it because then i can't find the flaws in it well what what really we talk about this idea of like visualizing a better world through the for example this combination of crypto and gaming um <laughs> the is, best world possible <laughs> that's right uh is that we say like well we can't have real things anymore but what we can do is make representations of those things. And then you'll continue just acting as you were. But instead of being like, you know, a real, um, you know, employee, you're now a virtual employee. Instead of making a product, you now make a virtual product. You're still as exploited. You're still in a wage relationship. We have an indenture here somehow. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but and this is this is they say they say that this is all them on the future of work. They say, I think that we'll see at least within the Axie ecosystem is different kinds of gamers will start to correlate to different professions. So there might be someone who specializes in creating consumables, like a potion maker. Or may, that might be the well, active version of a what? pharmacist. Fuck. Uh, My job, potion maker. <laughs> yeah. Or then you'll have... Potion the- maker... 2001, 2025 to 2027, uh, references for Potion Maker. Yeah, but what they're talking about is just a division of labor. They're just talking about jobs in sectors. Their vision of a better world is the same one but with the Axie Infinity graphics, that's what it is. And you still have a job, you still have a wage, and you still have a boss. And if you're from the global south, you're still being fucked. There it is. <laughs> I think they go on. Yeah. I think that we'll see politicians arise in Axie Infinity. People who are leading committees, for example, and thinking about the best use of funds. That might be the treasury. That might be putting forth governance proposals. Might be creating requests or funding for different initiatives. You might have people who are focused on accumulating or harvesting certain materials. And that might be, and that might be need a version of a farmhand. So 
for someone who's going on Axie land, for example, and harvesting resources, I think that's like an archetype that we've seen in the past. But I think we've never truly broken out. And I think we have our breakout moment with the rise of Axie, YGG, Yield Guild, and similar institutions. They're talking about landlordism and divisions of labor and actual jobs. This is just in this pretend world. In a pretend world where crucially, like, even if you're going to like think about it in these sort of like like resource heavy ways, like the platforms control the fucking resources, right? The tech companies control these resources. You cannot be a potion maker in a virtual world, right? I can't believe you have to fucking say this. You can't be a potion maker in a virtual world, right? <laughs> there are no resources that you can gather. What? The only thing that you can do is like, and, and again, this kind of, again, it's, it's just about like accelerating like the worst tendencies of a system that everyone knows doesn't work, right? Like in the idea that in the real world, you can sort of like, if you have a lot of money, you can accumulate resources really fast and you can get very wealthy out of like, um, renting out those resources or like, you know, being a proper landlord. And in this instance, it's very much, well, if you don't have the resources in, um, if you don't have like enough money in the real world to do that, but you have enough money in the virtual world to do that, then you can basically replicate that problem by again, like outsourcing and exploiting labor, not just in the third world, but like in this country too, like in kind of like rich developed countries as well. Like it's kind it's just like exploitation on a much broader scale and for much dumber things. That's exactly right. And it's just like um, and it's just kind of like insane when you read people when you kind of read posts and like read blogs or like listen to podcasts from people who like take this so seriously and like you know the only reason they take it so seriously is because they really want to be on the inside track, right? Like so much I mean this is like something for like another episode, but like we should, you know, the for people who are like interested in this, like Mark Andreessen is like very much a poster, like very much someone who like goes on every like blog and like newsletter and like, you know, uh, uh, crypto site and stuff. And is kind of just like talking about, you know, trying to sort of be, um, uh, a kind of like Nick land character or like, a, like a kind of Curtis Yarvin character, right? Like someone who like came from the tech world, uh, but has like these kind of grand, like grand philosopher King theories about, how the future of society should be. Like, you know, Andreessen very much does this. And when you kind of understand him in that way, like not only does his kind of vision of the future feel like seem even more insidious, but it's also like way more stupid as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, again, it's something for another episode, maybe. Oh, of course. So actually, I think noting, noting that we're sort of going long on time, I want to offer the last word, of course, to our guest, Trevor. Oh, my. Wow. That's a, that's very, that's very nice. Um, so... <sighs> I think what's fascinating about this, and, and and you've all touched on it in different ways. Like, I mean, that's why Trash Future is such a good show. Um, but well, you're welcome, of course. But uh, I only go on good shows. Uh, it's not true. Um, but uh, yeah, like I think what's really interesting about this whole setup is the way that it. You know, it's one thing we haven't mentioned is the way that it sort of refigures play and like. What well, you know, why people do things like grind on MMOs or 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 even gotcha games or whatever, right? Like uh, people like Andreessen or uh, the people who are in these uh, tech startups look at this and say, like, oh, people are willing to spend fifty hours a week, uh, you know, doing something worthless, like trying to get a drop, right? And they're like, oh, you know, they they want this helm, so they'll beat the same boss seventy times. Um, what if we could make that productive, e.g productive for us and our, our, our financial um, holdings. And what's fascinating about this is that people will see that and say like, oh yeah, if I could earn money from that, that would be great. But the instant you introduce money into it, right? The instant you do that, it's no longer the thing that you were doing before. That play is, is changed forever. Like you can't have play 
that makes you money in a wage relation and maintain the concept of play. It's not you grinding for a helm anymore. It's you grinding for a helm for your boss, right? It's you, even if, even if you are the one who owned the NFT, you're still trying to make that NFT bigger so you can turn a profit with someone you don't even know who's richer than you. Like all the play there is sucked out in the case, in like in favor of uh, wage relations. And what's fascinating is how it just ultimately like, and, and maybe this is utopian of me. I'll just, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I'll be utopian. I'll be, I'll be uh, uh, vulnerable. I think the, this kind of process will never work in part because the blockchain is, is, is not something that will work long-term, but like also because like you can't manufacture a state of play like this, that is work and actually make it keep going. Like the reason Eve online kept going is because a bunch of something awful goons were willing to have a corporation because like, you just got a bunch of goons together in a room and they'll do anything. But, you know, like the 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 concept of getting all these people, including contractors in because they like video games is absolutely uh, uh, illegible. Um, and it's the same way that NFTs are illegible. Like I like art because I own it is such a such a, a horrible way to think about aesthetics um, that it stops becoming aesthetics entirely. And I think what's fascinating is watching how money and particularly crypto money um has started to try and pervert like fairly human ways of interaction like aesthetic appreciation and play into profit and how it cannot seem to quite do it um and how it it keeps throwing tantrums as a result that's right and uh, i think this just sort of goes circles back to our concept right where the a whole mission of cryptocurrency is the financialization of things that were not thought to be previously financializable. Um, yeah. But I want to say, Trev, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. Uh, it's been a blast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and please go buy my book. It's yes. at, uh, you can get it. It's called Story Mode. I think most of them are on Amazon right now. Although if you're in the UK or Australia or elsewhere, it's a, you never know where it's going to pop up. Oh, yeah. But there's more hitting the market soon. I guess it sold well, which is a surprise to me, but very happy. Uh, surprise and uh, and yeah no check it out I think if you liked our conversation today you'll like what's going on in the book it thinks about video games through like a long durée um, and and good news for Hussein it is not uh, it is not only for games nerds uh, or games losers rather it's <laughs> it's for it's for people who have not played them too so you can you can approach it from either way that's right uh, so do uh, buy that book early and often uh that's right in the meantime you can use three copies <laughs> that's right of course <laughs> look do you have a table that not doesn't need to be leveled but does need to be raised a little bit that's four copies right there <laughs> is uh, my book an nft if you want it to be sure it is why, why not, not? Like, just buy it <laughs> buy, buy, buy and find out <laughs> maybe you can play a game with it i don't know <laughs> who knows only no one promises. way to find out buddy <laughs> all right uh no uh so don't forget as well we have a second episode every week it's five bucks a month on patreon you know how this all works uh, and other than that, I think we just have to say, yeah, thank you once again to Trev. Thank you to my wonderful co-host for being here. Milo, who, if you think he's been very quiet recently, has gone out to do a comedy gig uh, or something. Uh, so he slipped away quietly. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, uh, thank you to our listeners and our patrons. And we will see you on the bonus episode in a few days. Bye, everyone. Bye.